0: For your life, identify what you'll get the most satisfaction from. Try to find that one thing, whatever it is, and then go a 100% at that. Hear the devil calling. Hear the devil calling. Well, I hear the devil calling. Gotta pay him what he's doing can't stop the dogs of war I can't stop the dogs
1: of war Welcome to the world's greatest leaders podcast today we have for the first time we have a special guest. We have an an old boss of mine. I definitely learned a lot from this from this guy. I'm sure you guys are gonna learn a lot from him just from from listening to him talk for over an hour. Um, it seems like a long time but it's it's not really it's not that bad but this guy is is a book full of knowledge i i promise you if whatever person that comes and talk to this man is, is going to come come back learn that like learning something new that like it's just a book full of knowledge the guy is extra smart has a lot of experience um i mean i'm not going to i'm not going to further do this you guys will will will, will find out so um Colonel Jones, uh, how are you doing today, sir? Great, thanks for having me. No problem, sir. It's a big honor to have you here, and appreciate you taking the time and come come spend some time with with us and share some experiences and some knowledge to to the audience and with me. Uh, before we head on to the start of the podcast, uh, there's two subjects I want to hit. Uh, the first one is this morning, we woke up to a, a base in Africa, in Kenya, that was attacked by uh, the the terrorist group Al shabaab Right. <clears throat> As of now, there was, I don't think there is no. Um, American casualties or friendly casualties, but they found a couple of terrorists around the compound after they um they pushed the, the group back on I mean, do you have you think that with all this stuff that's going on with Iran, you think that the the, the groups are going to start thinking that we're we're vulnerable and going to start more, uh, showing up more and
0: trying to ambush the bases and, and et cetera I don't think they'll assess us as more vulnerable however, I do think uh, they'll look to attack us more in response to what happened with the um strike against the Iranian Major General.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, it's. it's I think they're, they're just seeing us as, oh, the Americans Americans hit, hit a big guy, so I think they're going to have a lot more people with them, which I don't think that's true, but I think they're going to have a lot of people to back them up, right? And, and the second thing I want to hit on is, uh, what are your take on the, the whole situation with Iran of, of um, the, the strike
0: against the General? I think that, uh, to be honest, I think that was probably a long time coming. It I, was, uh, I was happy to see that happen, because I think, as you probably read, he was responsible for a lot of attacks against Americans, and he had American blood on his hands. And I, I feel like if you, if you plot to kill Americans, if you kill Americans, then you're a legitimate target. And frankly, I wish he would have been killed a long time ago. So I, I have no, no issues with that, although I do think it might raise some complications.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think um, one thing that the, the the people don't understand is the the only thing that they hear is oh Trump Trump is starting a war. Trump is President Trump is 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 uh, insane. President Trump doesn't know what he's doing, and they don't get the whole reason why that happened. They they just think that we just did that for fun, and it, it's totally not true.
0: I don't I don't I don't understand the timing of it. I don't understand why it was very random. It was very random. I don't understand why it wasn't done before. Uh, like I mentioned, I mean, Iranians have been killing Americans in Iraq, probably since 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know why this action wasn't conducted back then. Uh, so the timing to me is strange, but I don't, I don't disagree with the action. Okay. Yeah. it's, 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 it's very sensitive. And I, I think it's,
1: People think that there's, there's a war that's going to start already, but I mean, it's
0: it's very sensitive, I guess. Well, you can you can certainly make an argument that there was a war or already going on. Yeah, uh, there are Americans dying. Uh, Iran had uh, Iranian proxies in Iraq had killed a U.S. contractor and attacked a U.S. base with rockets. Right, and nobody talks about that. Right, everybody so, just talks about how what President Trump is doing. So this is this is just perhaps an escalation of that. So I do think there's a risk of escalation. Um, But as I understand it, President Trump and his advisors understood that and took that into account. Again, I don't know, you and I don't know all the reasonings behind, but what I read is that additional attacks were being plotted and he was involved in those plots. Um, So to me, he's a legitimate military target. Right,
1: right. So I grew up in Brazil. Uh, I was born in the States, and I grew up in Brazil. Um, I have a lot of friends there still, and, and all I, I open up Facebook, and all I see is, is them talking about, oh, America wants to take uh, Iran's uh, petrol. Uh, America, uh, Trump didn't like that. Uh, Iran didn't want to be their friends and want to want to start war. But if you look at how much stuff they did to now we, we react, it, it has nothing to do with petrol. It has nothing to do with them being our allies. It's just them being bad, and we put an end to that, right?
0: Yeah, I, I don't. I think the the argument over oil is makes makes no sense because we were in Iraq and we, we took none of their oil. <laughs> right. Uh, we were in Germany and we took none of their resources. Uh, we were in Japan. We took none of their resources. We were in Vietnam. We took none of their resources. So I don't really understand how anyone can make that argument. It just seems, to be honest, a little, a little silly because there's no precedent whatsoever.
1: Yeah, and, and one one person try to try to hit me with, oh well, you don't see America in in, in Congo trying to build a democracy and I'm like, dude you don't know this, but America been in, in that whole continent of Africa for the longest yeah like people just don't know about that stuff
0: yeah you're you're absolutely right uh, we we have been all over the world uh, we've been in every continent helping helping those people or at least doing our best to do that right and <clears throat> all right so we're gonna get into and in, get to, leave those stuff behind
1: we can talk about it at a later time, right. Um, before we start, we I, I think we gotta get warmed up. Um I'm gonna hit you with some questions. Something with something that called the Mad Minute. I honestly took it from another podcast. So sure, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Team Never Quit. If you guys are listening to this, I, I apologize, right? But uh I'm just, it's nothing crazy, nothing complex. I'm just gonna hit you with some questions. Some of them you probably have to put a little bit of thought in it, but I'm pretty sure you can figure it out. Um Are you ready? Ready. All right. Uh what is your favorite beer? I know it's German.
0: Munschaff Keller beer. I knew it. Knew it. Uh, favorite superhero. The Punisher. Why? He seeks justice through violence. That's what we do. <laughs> that that is totally you. Uh, you just said that, and I, that's totally you. What was your first car ever? Nin, 1987 eighty seven four door station wagon with mag wheels. How much you pay for it? Five hundred bucks. Did you pay for extra wheels? Actually, the wheels or no? I, I had to buy the wheels because I ran into a curb and wow. <laughs> dented to the. So there were mismatched wheels. I ran into a curb. It was covered in snow. I bent two of the wheels. So I had to buy the. I bought the cheapest wheels I could, which were chrome American racing wheels. Uh, how old were you when you had that car? Sixteen. Sixteen. 16. Did you did you know you j- wanted to join the army back then or no? I knew I wanted to join the military. Okay. I wasn't sure about the army. My my brother was a marine. He went to the naval academy. Uh, my dad was in the Army. Almost every male in my family has been in the military, but it's been Marines, Army, Navy, no Air Force that I can think of. But uh, Was the Army your first choice, or did you go see other recruiters? West Point was my first choice uh, because my brother was my brother's about eight years older than me, so he had graduated from the Naval Academy, and he was a Marine. He was telling me about how they have to spend time on ships, and it seemed really boring to me, mm-hmm. so I thought the Army would be better. Yeah. What was the hardest military school you went to? I tr- I went to pre-scuba four times when I was a ranger instructor, and that was one of the hardest schools I've been to because you almost have to change your body to do well in that mm-hmm. course. You have to learn how to hold your breath. I, I had to. I went from about two ten to one eighty five. Yeah. Uh, because you can't. I went to pre-scuba back to back to back. I went okay. for three months straight, uh, over and over again, and you. Exercise so much in pre scuba that you can't eat enough food to replace all the calories, so mm-hmm. you can't not lose weight because it's probably eight to ten hours of exercise every day. And are you like getting getting jacked up, or are you just no, i just le- leaning out uh, because you you fin a lot, you mm-hmm. you do so much swimming. No, were they instructors like just checking oh, you guys up? Uh in the pool a little bit yeah i mean they do things like they charge a mask which is where they fill your mask with water yeah. when you're doing flutter kicks it makes the water go up your nose yeah uh, so you start to choke a little bit mm-hmm. um and then under the water they'll mess with you when you're trying to do your your tests and stuff like that okay what, what about ranger school you think ranger school is compare if you would compare it to ranger school Ranger school is different Ranger school is is um pre-scuba is moments well days of extreme fatigue and exercise but it you're through the worst of it in about a week, a week or two. How long is it? pre The pre-scoop I did was two weeks long. Okay. Um, but the the first week is is where you do all the testing and stuff, and then the second week is more training. Mm-hmm. So, and the the test week is is what's hardest. It's where you have the 50 meter swim, you have uh, underwater, you have uh, I can't remember the exact distances. Like a three mile fin in the ocean that you have to do. Um, you have to do weighted belt swim. You have to tie knots underwater. You have to do stuff like that. So that first week as a smoker. Okay. Um, If you could
1: choose to redo college, it doesn't need to be the same college you went to, any college, or redo ranger school, what would you do?
0: Well, that's a a hard question. I think... I mean, college college is is fun. Ranger school is not that fun. So I guess... (laughs) I think redoing Ranger School might be more. I I don't. I don't think Ranger School be challenging right now for me, so I'd probably redo college. Okay. If you were at an airport
1: and an airline gave you a ticket to go anywhere in the world that you want, you can't go home and pack your bags. You can't go home and get your family if they're not with you. You just gotta go with who you are with,
0: and just go. I would go to Australia. Why would you go Australia? Never, never been to Australia. I've never been to that area of the world, and I think there's got to be a lot of interesting things to see and do there.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, if you could call yourself five years in the future and ask any question, what would that question be? What happened? What happened? I, I'm at a turning point in my time in the army. I'll okay. either if you're out. staying in or not. Yes. If, uh, am I staying in? Am I getting out? And what am I doing? Because ah. and, and that that to me all kind of shakes out in the next five years. So how much, how much longer until you if you don't reenlist? How much longer do you have until you get out? So I could I could retire right now I have over 20 years, it'd be 21 in May. Okay. Um, I have to see if I get a brigade command or not, what kind of brigade command I do. And then basically, I'll take it assignment by assignment from there.
1: Okay. <clears throat>
0: um, if all jobs pay the same,
1: what would you be working with? Oh, I, I I love the I love the military. I would <laughs> you be in the military? I'd, I'd be in the military. Would you try to? Do, would you rather be like special operations or something?
0: I I like I get a lot of satisfaction from doing our job in combat. I mean, it's a it's a mixed bag because people get injured, your friends can mm-hmm. get killed and hurt, um, you're exposed to danger, but there's a lot of there's satisfaction in doing the job. It's probably okay. like. I'm sure it's similar for police officers. Um, Maybe SWAT. Yeah, something like that. You, It is a dangerous job. It's a hard job. Your friends can get hurt, but there's a lot of satisfaction. So jobs that can get me in the fight, I'm I'm happy to do. But but
1: do you think at the, at the rank that you are in Ford, do you think you're going to have a lot of action like you had when you were a no. brand new
0: lieutenant? No, it, it, it won't, but you can help help the organizations that you're in. Right. Okay. So if you make good decisions as a leader, you keep people alive. Um, you can get get rid of the bad guys, and there's satisfaction in that. Okay. It's just basically the moving to the next step, right? It's it, it, contributing, but in a different way. Yeah,
1: it doesn't matter what 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 uh, branch or job you have. You're gonna get to a point that you are no longer gonna be doing that like, combat. Like look at General Milley. Right. He's, yeah. he's a he's, was a fifth group commander. Entire career
0: as a Green Beret, and, and now he's, he doesn't really do combat job anymore, right? Right. But you could think, you think of it like this. So in one-on-one, we never ended up deploying to combat. But at some point, if if you guys stay in the Army, you'll eventually go. Absolutely. So then what I was trying to do is get you ready for that. Like, if when I leave, have I done everything I can to get you ready? And that that was my, that's what I tried to and you, do. You,
1: you could see that across the board uh, in the unit now like you can you can tell that you can get a private and put him to do be a team leader and he would have ex- like not exactly to the perf- like perfection but he would know basically what to do if he right. was a team leader like everybody across the board w- was ready to go yeah or at least to the, the so there's satisfaction in that. Yeah. Um yeah what is one skill that
0: you would like to have that you currently don't I never remember I told you I went to pre-scuba yes. all those times I had a choice to Go to scuba school, to a CDQC, or go to Fort Bragg uh, to deploy. And that was that was in 2004. And if I went to CDQC, it would obligate me to stay in the unit for an, or at RTB for another year. Mm-hmm. And I'd already been there for a year. So RTB
1: I, is a ranger training brigade or battalion? Uh
0: ranger training brigade, okay. and I was at 6-RTB, which is the 6-ranger training battalion uh, down in Florida. It's a Fort Benning, right? It's a, no, it's in Florida, at Eglin okay. Air Force Base. All right. So I had a choice to, to go to Bragg and deploy for the war, or go to CDQC. What rank were you at the time? I was a captain, mm-hmm. and I did, did not you, want to stay at RTB for another year. Did so you I, already do company level commanding? No, that or? was before. So you went to Bragg to be a company commander yeah. and go to yeah. Was it what where it where was your OIF? Go? Okay, OIF. So I never got to go to CDQC. I would have liked to have gone. Okay, but it, it was my choice not to, and I would make the same choice now because I did end up deploying. It was, a, you know, ama- amazing, meaningful experience for me, okay. but it would have been nice to go. Um, have you ever felt invincible? Yes. When? I was in, a, I was in Baghdad and we had just done a raid and uh, we were stuck in a 360 degree ambush. Or mm-hmm. And the, only, the way that's possible is if the bad guys are on roofs shooting down at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had basically a whole company in the, in the kill zone. and What rank were you? I was a captain. Okay. And they uh, we initiated. We saw the bad guys first. It was actually uh, one of my lead gunners on a Humvee song. Uh, it was a guy named Elrod. So Elrod called them out and initiated first. So what weapon ca- did he have? He had a 240. Okay. So that caught the bad guys off balance. And they started shooting, but it was, it was kind of it was just they had a low volume of fire because we had initiated on them. Uh, And my guys in the back, I had a a platoon in what we called back then hunter boxes. It was a five ton truck with an armored box on the back Mm -hmm. and you kind of ride in the back on bench seats. So my platoon in the back came up and I had maybe 10 escort Humvees, give or take. And basically every weapon in the in the troop was shooting open fire. Damn. And it looked like, uh, it looked like, it looked like a porcupine of tracers going okay. out and was I, it at night. It was at night. And, um, I was under nods. I was shooting and I was looking at these, the enemy bodies just like fl- basically falling off the rooftops. Mm-hmm. And I was, as we were engaging with 50 Cal and 240, I think we had a Mark 19. We also had, uh, uh, 30 Mike Mike, yeah. going out from uh, 203s. I could see these buildings crumble and I could see the bodies of the enemy falling off the top okay. of the buildings. And I looked around in the middle of this, I shot a magazine and I looked around the middle of this firefight and seeing the porcupine of tracers going out. And it, did, I felt like seeing what my company was capable of, mm-hmm. it, I, felt, I felt almost invincible. That is pretty badass, yeah. that is pretty badass. You
1: lose anybody in that in that gauge, you or no?
0: no, no, we didn't. It was amazing. I was my so everybody my, felt invisible. My my Humvee was all shot up. Like all my, I think two of my wheels were shot out. There was bullet holes in my windshield. I had a, an RPG hit a wall right next to me and like blew me sideways. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have a scratch on me. I just wrenched my back, and yeah. no one got wounded or hurt in that. It was it was kind of amazing. It's amazing that no one got hurt. Which also made it a good... Yeah. A good... Absolutely. ...event. Uh, What is your greatest failure in life? I... When I was leaving the 82nd at Company Command, after Company Command, I had a a choice to make. I got offered a number of different jobs. There were a number of different opportunities open to me. One of them was to go to grad school and teach at West Point. Mm -hmm. And then there were a lot of other good jobs that were open. And... Um, As I was waiting to leave, as I was trying to figure out what to do, I had been in command for 27 or 28 months, and my battalion commander came and said uh, that I had been in command long enough and it was time for me to go. And I I was in Iraq. He said I would have to go to brigade staff uh, while I was deployed, and I had been a troop commander and company commander at that point, like I said, for about 28 or... 28 months, give mm-hmm. or take a month. And I did not want to be on brigade staff in, in Iraq. I just couldn't think of it. I couldn't, I'd been in the fight at that point for about a year, mm-hmm. uh, deployed, and it was, we had been heavy in the fight. And the thought of sitting in the brigade headquarters, boring. I just couldn't, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't Okay. Oh, you it. You think you, from there you couldn't help, help your guys or what? I couldn't help. And I, I felt like. I don't know why I was young and I just mm-hmm. couldn't, I couldn't think of it. I couldn't consider it. The only, the thing that would have, that got me out of that was if I went to grad school, I would go redeploy, go back to U.S., go to grad school and then go teach at West Point. And I did not want to go to brigade staff so much that I <laughs> went to grad school and taught at West Point, but it was I don't know if i would do it again because what it did is it took me out of the fight Mm -hmm. i could no longer uh some of my guys got killed after i left um i was basically couldn't deploy for the next four years because i was either in grad school or teaching and i felt like i couldn't contribute and it was it was difficult for me it wasn't i didn't like i didn't like that i I didn't join the army to go to grad school and teach, especially not during a time of war. So, do you do you regret
1: uh, teaching at West Point? Or not? I
0: I, d- I do, but only only for that time period. I, mm-hmm. I for example, if if there's no war going on, I wouldn't have it wouldn't have bothered me. But because there was a war going on, I felt like I needed to contribute, and I didn't feel that I could contribute as much at, from West Point and grad okay. school as I could in the fight. So yeah. I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't think that's a failure, but that's a decision that I would, I made when I was young, and I probably didn't understand. And I don't know if I would, I would do it again. It's not that I dislike teaching or dislike West Point because it was a great experience. It was not being able to contribute. I understand that. <clears throat> I know you
1: like to run. I do so. If you could go, do a f- conduct a five mile run anywhere in the world? Is there in Japan or on the Great Wall of China or in Rio, going up the, the, the mountain with the with the Christy Redeemer on top, whatever,
0: wherever you want, where would you go? I like running uh, in nature the most. Okay. And uh, I I run, of course, pretty much all over the world. I've run in Africa, I've run in Europe, in the U.S., um, in the Caribbean, in Iraq, in Afghanistan. Uh, I, I think mountain runs are the most, mountain runs are the best. And I, I like the mountain runs where... There's a lot of scenery to look at, mm-hmm. so I I guess I would pick probably somewhere in the Alps. You know, if I if I had to pick the best possible place to run, but to be honest, I I'm, I like running almost anywhere. I, I tell you where I don't like to run. I don't like to run in cities at all. <laughs> I don't like the air, and I don't like dodging cars. I don't like that at all. I see I see I seen um
1: when I was in Amsterdam over this past leave, there was it was super crowded over there on the main road, and I see some dude running, and he's just getting mad and frustrated. Yeah. All the tours there, I'm like,
0: dude, you're running on the wrong spot, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't I I try not to run in cities ever.
1: Who could win a fight to death? Uh Lieutenant Colonel Jones in two thousand twenty or brand new Lieutenant Jones in uh
0: ninety nine? Probably now. Now <laughs> because uh when I when I graduated from West Point when I first started the army, I, I think there was still a lot of softness, right? You're not mm-hmm. used to the hard life now probably Major Jones could would win against Lieutenant Colonel Jones, but Lieutenant Colonel Jones would win against. You're into Jones. into boxing stuff, right? I used to do. I used to fight MMA. Okay. Um, I fought MMA for 18 months when I was at grad school. And okay. my and my grandfather was a boxer. My brother was a boxer. I, heard, I remember a story telling me you where you like fucked up your nose one time. Oh yeah, I had to, I had nose surgery probably three years ago. I couldn't breathe out of my my nose very oh. well opened it up. If you were president
1: for a day and you had the power to pass anything through Congre- Congress, and it would immediately
0: get approved, it could be anything. What would you pass? I, I would get us to a balanced budget. I worry that we're creating such a deficit. We're basically, we're. You can imagine we have a credit card mm-hmm. and we're maxing out our credit card, and our kids are our kids and our kids' kids are going to have to pay it. And that that's my biggest worry for the country. We just have to. Either we have to tax more or we have to spend less or some combination of the two.
1: Okay, so so every president comes in, they, they worry about that. But what
0: I'm, I'm, I'm trying to ask is, what is a law that you would create? I would create a law that says, until we have a balanced budget, we're going to increase tax by a percent and decrease spending by a percent okay. until they meet.
1: All cool. right. Uh, if you could uh, this kind of hit a uh, question that we had before. Uh, I don't know if your answer is gonna be the same, but if you could go back to anywhere in time and do something different, when would it be and where
0: it's i would do i would do either there's two options um one option would be just start in high school and redo it all um because you know throughout my life I've, there's decisions i would change um uh, if i could now if um what's to go back there's that one decision i made mm-hmm. to go commit myself to two years of grad school and two years at west point yes. which four years that would be the decision the single decision i would change um however if i go, went back to high school like i remember i got I dislocated my shoulder in a mm-hmm. football game i remember that football game what position did you play in football i played um i played fullback and linebacker um but i ended up getting hurt playing nose nose guard i played nose guard for like half a season uh, do you, do you have like a favorite nfl team or a college team well of course i went to west point so I like army um the army football team my wife went to tennessee so I like the Tennessee Balls. Uh, I also went to Duke, so I don't mind Duke. For professional football, I don't really have a team. I guess I'd root for the Titans. I absolutely hate the Titans uh, right now. Yeah. Oh, because they beat the. Are you a Patriots uh, fan? Yes, I'm
1: definitely a Patriots fan. That's right. Yeah. I heard about that. Yeah, that got me very upset. But yeah. I'm also upset the Patriots could, uh, f- for playing like trash, right? All right, this is going to finish up our, our mad minute that actually went 25 minutes I try <laughs> I try to keep it as low as possible when when I had a when I had Andre on it was 5 minutes but when I had a Max it was it was like 17 minutes so I think you're you're in the front right now Sorry I'm talking too much <laughs> It's fine it's fine but what is the
0: best piece of advice you can give to someone Best piece of advice is to for your life identify what you'll get the most satisfaction from, try to find that one thing, whatever it is, and then go 100% at that. So whatever it's going to be, whether it's computer programming, football player, soccer player, Mm -hmm. baseball player, army person, Navy, whatever, identify what what you get the most satisfaction from and give that 100%. For the for the for
1: the the people that are listening right now, right? Lots of them come listen to this podcast when they when they're struggling with with um, some decisions to make if, if they're lacking motivation if they're going through some problems at work or, or whatever it is. And I know by working under you, I, I know that you always praise being uh, mentally and physically tough. And you should you used to beat that beat that down on us a lot, like 18 mile ruck marches, doing, uh, um, doing going hard for PT, um, putting us in situations where where we would think that damn this sucks, but I need to finish this because. Because I have to right if I don't finish this right now, I'm, I'm not going to finish this when I, when I'm deployed in in Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever so what what a this is for the people to to put someone that's listening on on the, the path to to get gain that mental and and um physical uh readiness and to put someone in that path, what is someone that you can tell that person to show them that the the body has a much bigger limit that you think? And it's all in control of your mind to, to show them to, if you just get your mind right to keep pushing, what, what is something that you would tell that person to just keep going?
0: It's, it's important. I, I do feel any kind of fighting, martial arts, combat, it's a, it comes down, there's a part of it that's a battle of wills, right? You're, you're fighting against someone else. You can think of a wrestling match, right? So if you go 100% in a wrestling match against somebody who's going 75%, maybe you get them in a bad position and they could either give up or they could try to fight through it but sometimes you know it's you might be smoked you might be tired it, it's it could be easier to quit right if you're if you're tired you're smoked the other guy's better than you he's got you in a bad position you can try you can fight hard to try to get out of it or you could just quit and submit and and it's over and the physical pain is done so in something like a wrestling match that just means you lose a wrestling match but in something like combat it you you could be dead, and it's not just you who could be. Or dead. your buddy can be dead. Your buddy can you be gotta dead. You got to live with that shit. And and I've I've seen that happen. I've seen I've seen people quit in combat. I've seen people go down who didn't need to go down. And so that's that's why I think it's so it's so important to be tough. Now, how to be tough? You have to you have to continue to push your limits. You you ha- you can't. Toughness isn't doesn't just magically happen, and you can't think that, well, in combat, when I need to be tough, I will, because it, it's, it's not gonna happen. It's just like the it's just like a wrestling match. You might you might just say, you know what, it's, it's too hard. I'm just gonna quit, and you have to build that toughness in. And I know that I know I know how this is because it's I've lived it through my life. I remember I played football in high school, and I remember thinking I was tough coming out of that. And I went to West Point Point. I found out I wasn't as tough as I thought I was, right? Because some of that was hard for me. I graduated West Point and thought I was tough from that. I'd been through West Point. I went to ranger school and that was hard for me. And did you go to ranger school right after West Point? Pretty much. I, went to, I graduated West Point in June of 99 and went to ranger school in November 99. I did OBC in the middle. Um, and then, so I finished Ranger School. I thought I was hard then. Then I went to a unit, and that wasn't that wasn't that hard. Um, but then I went back as a Ranger instructor, and I thought I had some hard times there. So, so you went you were a Ranger instructor before you got deployed, the first time or no? I, well, I went to Kosovo from Campbell, if you okay. count that as a deployment. And then I went back to be a Ranger instructor. Uh, I did that, uh, and I thought you know it was tough coming out of that. And that's when I did. uh, pre-scuba so many times. Mm -hmm. I did do it three or four times. I thought I was hard coming out of that. I went to bragging. I went to combat and combat is hard. It is, it's hard. It's hard physically, you know, walking in 120 degree heat with all your kid on. It's hard when the people you care about get hurt or die. It's, it's hard when you have to go with no sleep. It's hard to always be alert. It's hard to always pull security. All these things are hard. So you finish combat and you think, well, now I'm a combat veteran. That's hard. But there's different degrees of that. And then, so you continue going through life and you realize there's still more that your body can do if you, if you have the toughness physically and mentally to do it. And if combat is a battle of wills and a battle of how hard you can fight, when are you or when is a unit ever perfectly prepared? And the, the answer answer that from my experience is you're never perfectly prepared. You just do the best you can to be as ready as you can because that's how you're going to win and that's how you're going to bring people home. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, and I think you mentioned all like, oh, somebody's like, yeah, I'll be ready for
1: combat when the day it comes. It's, it's, it's definitely not how it works. You're going you're gonna to get there and... You're gonna be, you're gonna be annoyed. You're gonna be, you're gonna be sucking. You're gonna be tired. You're gonna be hot, or you're gonna be cold. And like you said, if, if you can't quit there. You, you can give up, but if you give up, you're just putting everybody else in danger and yourself. Right. Right. Um, so almost 21 years of experience. Uh, I'm. You you probably had a lot of of, of different um, commanders over you. Regardless yeah. All that's a that, yeah. troop commander, squadron commander, whatever. Um do you think that your leadership approach uh, compared to the, to the previous units you've been in the previous, previous unit commanders and the previous units that you commanded mm-hmm. you think it had changed along the way or yeah. you, you stick with the one and you, you
0: kept going with the same one yeah it yeah it's absolutely my leadership has, has changed it even changed in 191 when I was in 191 mm-hmm. um, and it changed can you talk
1: about that like how
0: yeah yeah it, it did change my, my one of my biggest lessons learned from my time in 191 is that I tell people now even is I feel like I didn't communicate enough to everybody really throughout but I, I communicated more over time but I wish I would have communicated more uh, I don't like being more more close to the soldiers and talking more with them and stuff like that
1: which is explaining why you're making your decisions. Yeah,
0: specifically explaining why. Um, because for for example, I knew why I felt that 18 miles were so important, as one example. But I don't, I don't think I did a good job, or I don't think I explained it enough. And the the reason I didn't is, in, in one hand, I felt like, well, just, I'm going to tell you to do it. You're going to do it. I know it's for the best. So we're just going to do it. Kind of like a dad and a kid, right? right. Don't. Don't question the decision. Just trust me and do it. Okay, I'm uh, I'm sorry for cutting you off, but sometimes you you just need to
1: do that because um, being in the unit and and ha- and the first time you hear, hey, we're gonna do that first 18 mile, and I'm like, damn, whose decision is this? And yeah, and but then you realize, well, can can I go to combat right now and ruck uh, 18 miles with 65 pounds on 110 degree weather? But some people don't don't understand that. Like you, I don't want to give give crap on on the support messages, but they're the the majority of the people that are like damn I don't want to do this oh I'm just a mechanic or I'm just a cook I'm never gonna do this in, in combat and, and sometimes there's people just just let that go into their head and just
0: yeah. it, it just affects everybody else cause well, you, the, yeah go ahead the um yeah with with the eighteen mallers and the mechanics there's a a couple reasons there's a whole lot to ex- explain that um one is I didn't want the support guys to not be a part of the unit, I feel like it should be a unit thing. So everybody should do it Mm -hmm. from the S1 clerk to the mechanic. Everybody should do it because we're all on one team. It's like one family. Uh, That was one reason. The other thing is the 18 miles is not just about rucking is in fact, that's just one aspect of it. It's another aspect. It's in my opinion, it's building toughness and confidence. It goes back to being mentally and physically tough. Right. And that's, so it's a, it's a mechanism to do that. And it's, to be honest, it's one of the best mechanisms I know because it's it's hard it's it's not that hard to quit you can quit it's not that hard to do, but it seems hard mm-hmm. so to me that was that was the best the best possible thing. However, I think I could have done a for example with that I could have done a better job explaining the rationale behind that and that was probably my that applied to everything was my biggest lesson learned and how I will be different in the future if I'm in if I'm a commander. I will try to exp- whenever possible if it's a controversial decision or one that people may not understand, I'll do my best to explain it. Yeah, I mean, the 18 miles,
1: the 18 miles did did suck, but at the end of it you're like I feel good right now. Well, yeah. I'm sore, but I feel good that I just rucked 18 miles with with all this weight on my back and it's it's hot as it's balls and I feel good. I, I feel it's one at a time like oh i feel invisible you feel invisible for like five minutes after you finish it yeah then you go back to reality but it, it, it was good the feeling of finishing it um i, I want to get a little bit in in into doctrine right especially with someone like you the where you experienced one um before and after the the the, the g watch started the mm-hmm. oif and oaf and all that stuff well uh, compared if, if you're compared to when you first joined the army where the with how the training was and all that stuff were you big in 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 using doctrine for training?
0: Yeah. Yes. The so I was I was a captain. I was a no, that's not true. I was a first lieutenant when the uh, on nine eleven. Mm-hmm. I was a first. I was a company XO. So I'd been a rifle platoon leader for about eleven months or so, and then maybe nine to eleven months. It's been a while. I was a rifle platoon leader at the 101st. And then I became a company XO, and I was a company XO for a little bit over a year. And during that, as a company XO, we ended up deploying to Kosovo for a mm-hmm. joint guardian. So as a rifle platoon leader, we had not deployed. We were just training in the, in the rear. And then as a company XO, I ended up deploying for Kosovo, which was like peacekeeping, not, mm-hmm. not combat. So I only have the perspective, really, from, from before the global war on terror as a platoon leader. But I, I do remember we did we did use the We had 7-8, which was the uh, infantry platoon manual. And I carried it around in my rucksack, and I referenced it on all the stuff we did. Like uh, we had to knock at a bunker or we're going to do an attack. I would look through the manual and make sure what I was doing was based on that. And then when we would do large field problems, like a brigade field problem, or a battalion field problem. It was the same. People, everyone was trying to base that in doctrine. And, and, but <clears throat> do you ever get to a point, you, you, you read into a doctrine, and you're like, this doesn't make sense? Do you ever get to that point? I think, here's, here's my thoughts on doctrine. Doctrine is always a, is a guide, and I try to... I, I will sometimes deviate from doctrine. like In one-on-one, we would deviate from doctrine from time to time. But I think you should never deviate from Doctrine because you're ignorant of it, you should deviate because you've made a choice, a choice that... As a leader. Yeah, as a leader. And so I know Doctrine says to do it this way, but due to these unique circumstances, I'm going to deviate from that and do it a different way. Um, for example, uh, like what what C-Troop will do. C-Troop can fight as infantry if they have to, or they can be employed as lurs. So how does how do you employ c troop it really depends on the circumstances mm-hmm. so i i would deviate from doctrine in terms of how i would employ c troop depending on the conditions as an example and the other thing is whether you're going to fight for information or not um, for the amount of troops so i um, just just going back in, in doctrine, right um
1: a lot of time a lot of times when when uh, you're doing training and you go into doctrine and example when when the first global uh, war on terrorism started uh I, I don't really think that we were that that familiar with how to clear a room right yeah and i don't think I'm, I'm pretty sure the doctrine hasn't changed since then since before that so today you 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 have you i mean you have all those those different ways in um in clearing rooms and and uh Patrolling and and all that that stuff, which a lot of people like to reference the the special operators, which is kind of yeah. like the cool guy way to enter. And doing uh, some live fires uh, under you, you would uh, really go back to doctrine when we were doing um, room clearing. Uh, is was would be there a reason for that, or or what?
0: Or just think it was the right way to do it, or you just didn't agree with how to, how well, the, how we would do it? So there's many. There's many. There are lots of different room-clearing techniques like there's for example the FBI uses a big shield or At least I think they do and a lot of law enforcement will use a big shield Uh, so the lead of the stack The guy has a big shield Mm -hmm. and he puts his pistol around the corner of the shield so that's one technique of of how you you're gonna move up to Whatever the breach point is or the door or or whatever and then uh, when I was I know Really, say, maybe in the 80s, one of the techniques for clearing a room is you threw frags in every room, like a frag grenade. The obvious issue with the frag grenade is whatever's is inside is going to get wounded. So if there's civilians in there, it's, a, it's an issue. If you look at, say, like Band of Brothers or Saving Private Ryan, you'll see them throwing a lot of frags mm-hmm. in, the, in the buildings. We don't do that as much anymore uh, because it's indiscriminate. You'll if see them throwing flashbangs and stuff. Right, flashbangs, but not as much frags. Um, so so there's basically lots of different techniques to to enter a building clear room. And I, I learned this in a previous job. We had different types of special operations forces. And every, every person had a slightly different take. For example, when you're entering the door, do you pie off the room from outside the, the room? That's one technique. Or do you, as soon as you open the door, do you enter to try to get to your points of domination? And I've been in these multinational and joint task forces where mm-hmm. that everyone wants to debate on how to do mount and then eventually you come to some kind of consensus on how you're going to do how you're going to do it when i was in command i didn't necessarily want to get into those long debates with say a troop deciding they want to do it this way b troop deciding they want to do it this way c troop deciding something else rather than that just let's stick with stick with the basics uh, to get to a basic level of proficiency, and should we go to combat in an urban environment, then we'll fine tune all of the like every every element. will fine tune how they're going to do mount. So, the, so the whole squadron would have an SOP, and right. the, the the troops and the
1: slash platoons would come up with their own SOP if we ever went to combat and stuff like I think, that. Right? I think,
0: I don't, I don't, I think you would you would iron out those details. Like I said, for example. It's like adapting to the situation, right. right? You'll adapt to the situation and to the individuals, uh, which which will happen anywhere. Anywhere you are going to have to know how to. You are going to have to dial in the specifics of, for example, are you going to blow the door, or are you going to mechanically breach it, um, are you going to ballistically breach it? You know, th- there is all these different options, and the unit will the units will sort those out as as you go. But what I wanted to do was just build a basic. And because we're just building a basic base, I wanted it to be the same so that someone from Anvil could go into a stack in Charlie and or in Comanche and 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 fit in. Yeah, that, that's an assembly
1: and it's, I mean I, when that happened, I was one of the persons like why are we doing it this way? Yeah. Right. And and it's it's it like goes back to what, what you said, like we wish you did better, just explain the situation. It's yeah. It's 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 a lot clearer now, right? I mean, if, if someone doesn't want to agree with you don't agree with it. But now you understand the reason why. Why? You yeah, and that that that's right?
0: exactly that's exactly my point. I that that's my biggest lesson from command is, and many times I did not explain things as well as I should have.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you believe that that like your exposure to combat and and you being in combat and seeing other younger younger soldiers in combat uh, take make decisions? Do you think that all that stuff got you prepared to to make decisions as a leader today? And even when you get out of the military,
0: yeah, uh, absolutely. Because you, those are obviously critical decisions. That, decisions made in combat they have uh, life changing effects. You're yeah, like you're not you're not going to be doing battle one, battle belching one off on someone when you're in civilian working at a bank or, or whatever. Right, and it's it's um, so those are. I definitely think it helps. You, they're, they're important decisions that you. Do your absolute best to make the right decisions, and um, so it will help. It helps, I think, make any decisions going forward. And I also think it helps make military decisions, of course, because you have you have that perspective. Okay, um,
1: yeah. Uh, I mean, like, like like I said, you're not going to be doing a, a react react contact when you're working at a bank, but yeah, it helps you kind of like helps you. Um, Make quick decisions on on, on times that, they, that you need to be quick, and like, I don't know, it's 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 hard to explain to someone that isn't in in the army, right? Yeah, you, you you just that sense of always being ready, always being prepared to whatever's gonna happen. Um, what advice would you give to a, a new noncommissioned officer, that brand new sergeant, or that brand new lieutenant, showing up to the unit in how to be a, a better
0: leader? I think I, my best advice is you have to prepare yourself and your your guys, your subordinates for war, and why is that? Because if you go to war, and someone dies, you don't want it to be because you didn't do the best you could to prepare them. And I think that that's my advice, and that's kind of the perspective I was talking about for the last question. Is un- until you've been to war, it's it's hard to you can't. I don't. I think it's very difficult to imagine what it's like to go to one of your guy's funerals or talk to his wife or talk to his kids who've lost their father. But when you're doing that, you don't want to think that it was because you made a bad decision or you didn't get them ready, you didn't do all you could to get them ready. So that's what I would tell them. That's, that's my advice. As an officer, you're, you're in charge. You're in charge
1: of most of anything from when you get to a unit as a lieutenant to when you retire, right? Like of, when, you, when you're when you a lieutenant, you're, you're in charge of your platoon. Yeah. Then you're in charge of your company slash battery slash troop. Mm-hmm. And you're always in charge, and you're going to have subordinates under you that are leaders, right? You're going to have uh, sergeants, sergeant first classes, staff sergeants, specialists, promotables. You can have all kinds of leaders under you. Sometimes you're going to have uh, leaders under you that, that have more experience than you, right? Mm-hmm. Or not not I don't want to say experience like he knows more about my experience on like on the ground more time in the army than you right, right H- How do you feel on 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 that and what do you really expect from those leaders that have more time in you? But they know that you're that you're the boss, but they more have more time in you and sometimes they can be like Oh, but he's no he been on for three years Whatever
0: well, I think, I think as a leader, you have to be confident in understanding you don't always know everything, and certainly I I know that, and so I would expect someone with more experience than me to give me good advice, right. and to, you know, to be willing to discuss different different options. For example, I've never been in a mechanized unit. Uh, I've trained with them, as you know. Um, I've. Fought with them a little bit, right, in combat and in training environments, but I've never been mechanized. So if I were to go, let's let's say theoretically, I've got to go to a mech- I get a mechanized brigade command somehow, um, then I would I would need advice. I would need advice from all of them. Uh, from everybody below me would have more experience when I showed up yeah. in a mechanized unit than I would, and I would need good advice from them. Uh, so that's that's what I would expect from subordinates who have more experience or knowledge on something i'd expect good advice and and then also support of course right so we'll we'll debate on what we're going to do right let's say um let's say i get to the mechanized brigade and our maintenance is terrible and i'm pushing pt all the time mm-hmm. right? we don't have enough time to work on the tr- on the vehicles or something then i would expect good advice on how to adjust our priorities so that we're doing enough maintenance and then also if once once you make a decisions later then after we've had that discussion on what we're going to do then i would expect someone to support me on whatever the decision was
1: yeah, it's good that you mentioned that i i think that uh we have lots of, of sergeants today mm-hmm. that they they guys oh that guy is in charge. That guy is a, is a captain. That guy is a, is a lieutenant colonel or whatever that rank is. He outranks me, so I'm not gonna say nothing. He's making a decision, and I'm just gonna sit here and and just and just push it down. And I don't I don't think that's the right call. Like if you if you think um, tactfully, obviously, if you if you think that something is, isn't right, or you think that person doesn't know what's going on, or that is not making the right call, it's the the best option. Like I said tactfully, is to uh, approach that person and talk to them, say. Hey, have you thought about doing it this way instead of like this right. or why is it this way? And I think as as especially as, as an NCO, you, you can't be scared of, of just talking to someone just because that person is higher ranking than you, right?
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So if if I'm working for someone I don't don't agree with the decision, I'll do I, I think through a couple things. One is does it is it is it an is it significant enough that I need to talk to them about it? For example, let's say um just a silly example. Colonel Jones, go take your trash out right now. Like, well, I'm in the middle of doing something. I don't really want. I don't. I'd rather do it later. But is it worth? Is it worth approaching them about that? No, I just take it out and fine. It's not a big deal. But I let's. I don't say think
1: nobody's gonna come up to, to to Colonel and like take the trash out. But all right, that's a good you example. Know what I mean?
0: Like, if, if it's if it's not a if it's not that big of a deal where it's not gonna have any real consequence, you can just roll with it. Mm-hmm. Um. However, if it is going to have a big consequence and you don't agree, then I think you have you you absolutely have a moral obligation to go talk to the person. You not only not only sh- should you, you almost must. Like mm-hmm. You must talk to that person and at least give them tactfully, like you said, give them your your advice um, because what if that has significant consequences and you've seen how it's going to go wrong? Then not say anything is, is is not the right thing to do.
1: It's it's the the worst the worst thing is doing something without knowing why, right? Yeah. And and knowing why that person didn't make the right call or in your head that person didn't make the right call or why didn't that person think of this? It's 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 horrible. It's it sucks, right? Yeah. Uh, what was the hardest decision that you you made as a leader through your time in the army? It's something that you really had to put a lot of thought into it.
0: I think uh, the, hardest, the hardest decisions are always, in my experience, are always the decisions that affect, affect people's lives. Um, and so if, you're gonna, if you will, are going to change someone's life, those decisions are the hardest. For example, with UCMJ and are you going to separate somebody? Are you going to take their money? Are you going to give someone this... He
1: doesn't really mean take their money, he, like take pay. Like, take, yeah,
0: take pay as a result of, of UCMJ, Uniform Credit Military Justice, mm-hmm. or put someone on restriction or send someone's family home. I mean, those those decisions that affect people's lives like that, those are the... the all those are hard decisions that I can think of many that are hard. And, you're, you, and what you're trying to do is balance justice. What's the... What is the right thing to for the right outcome, and also humility and understanding and empathy for that person and their circumstances? Um, those are those are the I find are the hardest decisions. As a young officer, still in the process of learning, like you don't graduate
1: uh, West Point, like in your situation, knowing how to exactly be an officer, right? But who was someone that that had the most influence in you when when you were when you were learning when you were uh, growing up in your career that to this day sticks with you?
0: Well, I think first thing I'll say is you're always learning, um, and you never know all the answers. For example, I learned a lot of lessons in squadron command, and at that point, I'd been in when I first took command. I'd probably been in the army uh, eighteen years at that point. So you're always always learning, and I still learn. I learn every day. Um, so that never ends as this person who had the single most greatest impact on me. I don't, I don't know if I could even pick one, one person. It can be someone that just had a really big impact. Doesn't mean the biggest one. I think one of the, one of the most competent officers i worked with tactically is this guy named, uh, Pat Work. He's a colonel now. I think he's gonna be a full colonel i think he'll be i think he's gonna be a general um pretty sure Where, where is he where is he at right now now he's in the he's at the pentagon um working on something however he was my battalion s3 when i was a troop commander on my first deployment to combat and he was in my opinion he was gifted tactically we had very good orders and very good missions and the whole process for preparing and executing the mission was really good and i think i i probably learned the most from him Uh, have you have you still have a some kind of relationship with him or or no i i not obviously not as much as i did before i i probably email back and forth with him um maybe a couple times a year and i i talked to him on the phone maybe once a year or so. I, I talked to him just a few months ago um, when I needed some advice. So I, I still go to him for advice, and, but I go to other people too. For example, I learned, also learned a lot from Colonel Bartholomew's. I learned a lot from even people who work is, for me. He's a beast. Yeah, Colonel He's a complete beast. And he has an extreme... I'm extremely jealous of his resume. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, I, and not only do I learn from... Senior people I also learn from subordinate people. For example, I learned a lot from the majors, and I learned a lot from Sergeant Major Franco uh, and Sergeant Major Fedorison. So I'm, I don't think you ever stop learning. Yeah, it's, it's an ongoing process, and some people don't really understand that. They just
1: think, well, well I'm, I think some people like, like to compare learning and, ex- and knowledge with rank. Yeah. No. Like, oh, I, I'm a software class. I know everything, and I don't need to know anything else. I'm like, that's definitely not the right answer. Yeah, you You're, definitely need to learn a lot. You always have to keep evolving. Um, what, what is your, your your key to success to be the best leader that you can?
0: Well, I think probably what we just talked about. You have to always learn every everything you do. You critically evaluate. You you think what went well, what could have gone better, and then you keep doing the things that went well and we work on the things that didn't go well and I think that's probably the most important um and you obviously try you have to try and you have to keep learning absolutely um can can you think about
1: uh doesn't need to be the toughest day but probably one of the most toughest
0: day in your career it's hard to say I mean so days have been tough for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes they can be tough physically. Sometimes they can be tough mentally. Sometimes they can be a combination of the two. Um, So it's, it's hard to say. Um, I would, I I would think, I think I I remember a mission in Iraq that we did uh, when I was a troop commander and it was towards the beginning of the deployment. It was really hot. It was I think the air temperature was 120-something. And then with the heat index, because it was humid, it was in the Tigris River Valley, it was over 130. And that was extremely hard. We had a lot of, we had two days of supplies. Uh, We had a lot of ammunition. We need a lot of water from that heat. And that was extremely difficult. Um, We ended up having a lot of heat casualties that we had to evacuate. And we had to secure ourselves. So it was stressful in trying to keep security of the troop. Take care of the people who were going down from heat, and then physically, it was hard as well. Moving around in that heat with all that equipment, so that was that was a difficult day. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and It goes all the way back to when when the first thing we
1: started is just that that being mentally and physically tough thing. It, yeah. There's no preparing for it. You, you just got to be as most ready as you can. You're not yeah. gonna be. Um, have you ever thought about doing anything like SFAS? Rasp now with the
0: new um, S Fab. Well, now so that that ship has sailed for me, mostly. Meaning, um, you can't do none of them. No yeah, way. I'm too. I'm too. But scared. when you were younger, when you would you, you ever think about it? I thought about. Um, well, m- more recently, I did think about the S Fab because I. They they were obviously recruiting. Um, for the S Fab. I I thought about it long and hard. Um, but I think going back to what I said before, what I talked about before, I, I do get a lot of satisfaction out of our army fighting job, mm-hmm. you know, or training people to do that and, and doing that and being ready to do that. And I did not think I would get the same satisfaction from training Afghans, for example, or training Iraqis that like, if I was going to train, I'd rather train U.S. soldiers. And if I'm going to and if I can, I'd rather lead US soldiers, you know, to do that's what I joined the Army to do. It's sort of like teaching. It's not that I didn't like teaching, it's just not the primary reason I joined no. the Army. So that's why I didn't do SFAB. For self units, I I have done some work in, in the special operations community. And that was so I, I have done that and I did enjoy that. Okay. So I mean I mean uh, as
1: long when I when I understand from from talking to you, I understand that you're you're a dude that won't, you, you like kicking down doors, like you like kicking down doors, shooting them in the face, and making sure your guys are are trained and and
0: good to go, right? Yeah, k- kind of. It's it's um it's just it's satisfying. It's satisfying. It's serving something bigger than yourself in a challenging and exciting profession. So my time working for you, I. I got the really a big
1: vibe that that you are a guy that would really fit into to to uh, Ranger bat. Like those guys are professional to the to the like to the T. The guys are they're really good at their job and they're really good at just straight up door kicking. Have you ever um like thought about going a regiment? Yeah, I,
0: I- I, su- I submitted, it, remember I said I went to Kosovo after my PL time? So after my PL time, I put together a packet, and um, back then it was called ROPE, uh, was the officer tryout for a regiment, and um, now it's called a RASP. But at any rate, I, I had trained with uh, 375 when I was at Campbell. We did some training events with them, and they, they had indicated that they'd like to hire me. I just needed to go to ROPE. So I put together a packet and uh, part of the packet did, is did, getting- did they, I'm sorry to cut you, but did they ever say why did they, they're lucky for the job or?
1: Well, I, I had trained else? with them and I think they were- Like, do you think that you did anything to like put yourself out there? Like you were a beast at, at physical fitness or you were good at, at doing this, whatever?
0: I think probably all of it. I mean, I, I think I did a good job supporting them. We We had gone with them to do some mount training at Knox, and mm-hmm. we were playing Op 4. But I put my guys through with them, and of course I was in charge of the Op 4, and they seemed to be happy with how my platoon had done supporting them. Um, so they said to put my packet in, and they indicated they'd be interested in hiring me. So we that was uh, probably in about August or so of 2000, and... After that, we went to NTC. The whole brigade did. I think that was probably around November of 2000. And then when we came back, I was about to put my packet in. It was towards the end of 2000. But that's when the um, the battalion was supposed to go to Kosovo. Uh, and the, I was a I had moved from being a pl to a company XO, mm-hmm. and my battalion commander told me that I was too important, uh, <laughs> and that Kosovo was a real mission, whereas going to Ranger Regiment would just be training. And I could not go, so he would not. He would not. Sell so so it was up to him. Yeah, it was up to my. I think manager. today. I think today they 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 can't.
1: Your command can't say no. I know for for SFAS, if you got if the the recruiters recruit you to go for for a set, for the selection, mm-hmm. your command can't say no.
0: Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know the details. I I don't think they can either. But at any rate, he wouldn't he wouldn't let me go, so I didn't go. I went to Kosovo. I was in Kosovo from probably something like March of 2001 until November, December of 2001. And then when I came back, he said, well, you're back. We're back now. You can go. And when I talked to regiment, then they said I was too senior. Um, Meaning I was, it was too late. I was about Mm to, about to be a captain. And, oh, okay. So I didn't, so I didn't go then. Then when I left, I told you I chose to go to grad school Mm -hmm. uh, after company command and, I, that didn't allow me to pursue any other jobs. One of the jobs that I m- could have pursued was going to regiment. But, it, like I said, I did not want to go to brigade staff, <laughs> so I chose to go to grad school, which, as I mentioned, in hindsight, I don't know if I would do that again. It's been
1: great having you on here, but in, we're, we're fortunate to get into our last question, right? Um, so I, I believe that leadership is spoke a lot. You talk a lot about leadership, but I don't think it's talked enough. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the, like I said at the beginning, one of the reasons that people are going to, people that listen to this podcast or the people at least I'm targeting for this podcast is to people that are on that struggle, they're, they're leaders that are struggling in making a leadership call or they're about to be leaders like, like myself. I'm, 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 I'm especially promotable and I'm almost about to be a sergeant, right? Um, but what is a message or a story that you have? Uh, to the listeners to help them face whatever they're going on right now or whatever difficulty they are going through to accomplish one of their um
0: objectives or goals? Well, I mean, it it could be my personality, but usually when I have, if I have a big a goal, like let's say you want to go to SFAS, right, and pass SFAS. So you should look at, my advice to you would be, you look at everything that you have to do that's associated with that. Like there's probably some kind of like, GT score test. There's an obstacle course. Probably there's some kind of foot march. There's land nav. There's leadership. There's um, whatever else is involved. And then you you look at the those requirements and you figure out where you are in each of those. Like let's say let's say your GT score is already through the roof. Like it's whatever the highest score is, 180. Then you don't need to worry about that let's say your PT is terrible and you're worried about the obstacle course and the foot march and whatever. Mm-hmm. Then you've got to make a plan to address those weaknesses. Let's say you're good on GT score, you're good on PT, but your land nav is terrible. Then you've got to figure out how you're going to get better at land nav. And then you figure out, so you put a mark on the wall for this is when I need to be ready and then make a plan on how you're going to get to that, how you're going to get that done. Um, And then do all you can to to get it Uh, so for example if your land nav is bad they have believe it or not they have land nav video games so get get the land nav video game uh there are just books on land nav you could just go practice land nav uh, on your own in the woods right so there's different ways to to do it but figure out what you need to do and then make a plan that you make a plan that will get you there execute the plan assess where you are and keep doing that I would be yeah, so, so so, find a problem
1: assess the problem and work the problem right yeah all right um so yeah this is this is the end, end of the show um i really sir i really appreciate you coming on and spend some time with me so we can talk about all kinds of stuff it, i mean i think i learned more in this an hour and a half of talking with you than i ever learned to talk to anybody else right oh, it, it's, it. it's a great experience and i really appreciate you coming on and, and spend some time with me and and sharing your experiences with with the guests and on how they can become bigger leaders. Thanks, thanks for having me. No problem, sir. All right, leaders, this concludes today's episode. I really appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. I really appreciate you guys um, sending some feedback and sending some some support to the show. Um, remember, leadership is talked about a lot, but not enough. Stay humble and stay hungry, and I'll see you guys on the next episode.